Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Thank you, Anna. Yesterday morning, after jujitsu training, Kale getting ready for an international competition coming up in uh, just a few short weeks. We were driving along the parade in Bucklands Beach, and she's just looking out over the water, and she said, Daddy, let us never take this for granted. I was like, yeah, let us never take the beauty in which we live for granted. And and it poses a question to you guys this morning that maybe seems a little bizarre in the Kiwi context. But do you remember the first time that you ever saw the ocean. Do you remember the first time you ever saw the ocean? Now, from a guy that grew up in the middle of the cornfields of Indiana, to put that in context for you, about a 12 plus hour drive to the coast to see the water, I didn't see the ocean for quite some time. Family holidays, it went out to the east coast to a place called Ocean City, Maryland, And I remembered riding in the backward seat in my Aunt Donna's station wagon. You know, it faced like the rear windscreen, and I'm sitting there, and we're riding out to Ocean City, Maryland, and it was the first time I ever saw the ocean on that trip. And I remember it just like it was yesterday, but it was a few decades ago. And I remember taking it all in that all I had ever seen was the muddy lakes and rivers of Indiana. And for the first time, I saw these giant waves My mother that told me, well, you like the seagulls so much, if you catch one, you can bring it home as a pet. She knew how to occupy my time and interest for the duration of the family holiday. But it was absolutely mesmerizing. Now, for us in New Zealand, the the ocean's just a stone throw away for most of us here in East Auckland. But I remembered 13 years ago as a youth pastor in Papakura. And it came up on a weekend, and we decided, let's make a beach trip. Let's go out, and we went to Kariotahi, which, uh, for your information, is my favorite beach that I've ever been to in New Zealand. And we went out to Kario, out past Waiuku, and we're driving over the hill, and little did I know that half the boys in my van had never seen the ocean. Growing up, living in Papakura, they had never gone to the beach. And what we thought was just going to be a cold day at the beach, running around, playing some rugby, they said, Josh, Josh, can we put our feet in the water? Sure. Well, little did I know that every single one of us was going to drive home sopping wet, blue jeans, shirts and all, because we had a heyday in the ocean that day. We had so much fun. And it was incredible. Papua New Guinea, I was principal of the Bible College up in the highlands, up in the mountains. Most of the students were older than me, and our ministry trip went down to Leh, which is one of the coastal cities in Papua New Guinea. And as we got down to Leh, majority of our students, I'd say 90% of them, had never seen the ocean, and they were taking in the beautiful sight for the very first time. And they went up, and they got real close, and the waves came, and they ran away. 50-year-old grown men running away from the waves so it didn't take them out to sea. And I said, 
it's salt water. And they said, what, is, what does that mean? And they bent down, they touched the water, and they licked their fingers, and they were blown away. They're like, what is this magic? You know, what is this incredible thing? The ocean. We jumped onto a boat, and we took a three-hour trip to Bob Doobie, Salamoa Point in Papua New Guinea. And the entire time, I saw men trembling in fear because they were surrounded by water. They had never experienced anything like that before in their lives. But the beautiful thing came that when we stopped at the beach in Salamoa Point and we wanted to refresh and go for a swim, those of the students that knew how to swim, all I could see for the next hour, two hours, was their faces plastered below the surface of the water just looking at the coral reef underneath them. They couldn't imagine the beauty and, and, and just how spectacular of a sight it was seeing the ocean and the life just below the surface. Now for me, moving to New Zealand and being a scuba diver, one of my dreams was to go to the Poor Nights and go scuba diving. Jacques Cousteau, the inventor of modern-day scuba, ranked it in the top 10 dive sites in the world. I couldn't wait to go. Go up to the Poor Nights, and the boat captain said, right, here's what I'm going to recommend you do. We had already taken the first dive. We dove down, you know, 30, 40 meters along this cliff wall with moray eels and purple sea fans and fish bigger than me. It was incredible. And we're at the second site, and he said, you're going to drop down to the bottom, and you're going to see this big cavern. And he pointed in the direction that the cavern was going to be. He said, now, don't be tempted. Just swim to the back of the cavern. Start, start paddling, you know, go in there and get to the back of the cavern. It's going to start getting really dark. Once you reach the back, it's going to be so dark you won't be able to see your hand in front of your face. Turn around and look where the sunlight's coming from. And you see a picture just like this. Thousands of silhouettes of fish schooling around in the reef. And it was a spectacular view to just absorb and one I never want to forget. I was in absolute awe of the beauty of God's creation. Spectacular. When we begin to receive and accept the love of God, we begin to understand it. Leaves us in awe. Let me unpack it for us real quick. And this is nothing new to our context. You've heard me preach this before and share it from this very pulpit, that Jesus, when you look at his life through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a common denominator in how Jesus conducted himself around people. He saw people, he had compassion, he met their needs, and then he went to the cross. Jesus saw people, had compassion, met their needs, and then he went to the cross. And folks, when I, when I look at the context of Jesus' life, I recognize that it's all about relationship. This is how God made you and I. He created us in his own image, and he wired us to thrive in relationship, to long for relationship, to develop healthy relationships. In our text this morning, Jesus is all about people, and he is simply taking a time to love them by enjoying time with him. Now, something personal about me and one of my weaknesses is I challenge myself every week not to use a movie illustration. 
but I love movies. And it's not even in my notes, but I'm like, I got to share it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, Mr. Rogers' new film, Tom Hanks. Uh, if you haven't seen it, looking for a good family film, highly recommend it. And there was something beautiful in the story that he's, a reporter is doing an article on him trying to differentiate Fred Rogers, the TV screen actor, and Fred Rogers, the person. And as the movie unravels, you realize Fred Rogers is Fred Rogers. He's an amazing human being. And he's on the phone with the reporter, and this is my favorite line in the whole film. And Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers, asks the reporter, he says, do you want to know what's most important to me right now? He said, no, what's, what's most important to you right now? He said, talking to you is the most important thing to me right now. Powerful statement. Powerful statement. And when you look how Jesus conducted himself, I think he lived in the moment and he made it the most important moment everywhere he was. That he saw people. He loved them. He had compassion on them. If he saw a need, he found a way to meet it. And Jesus is in this context in Matthew chapter 9. He's having dinner at Matthew's house. Jesus had just called Matthew to be his disciples. What was Matthew's occupation before a disciple of Jesus? He mingled in taxes. A hated man for it despised by his own countrymen, and seen less than par. He wasn't your favorite hometown hero and the guy that got spotlighted on the front page of the newspaper. He would go on to become Matthew the Evangelist. Why such a hated man for the task of spreading the gospel? Think about this. He was despised by the majority. And his testimony of radical change began in the moment he responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him. It is edified in what Jesus teaches and the Pharisees, what Jesus teaches the Pharisees. And it was what we find is Jesus' why. His why behind his actions, his words, his leadership, and his compassion. In Matthew 9, the Pharisees looked around Matthew's house and saw nameless tax collectors and sinners. Jesus saw people that he cared about, people he wanted to hang out with, and he knew their names. He knew their stories. It's all personal with Jesus. It's all about relationship. Jesus responds to the Pharisees, and he brings up the terms of mercy and sacrifice. Mercy and sacrifice is a major component and something to understand in this selection of scripture. Jesus declares that he wants mercy and not sacrifice. Not sacrifice. So much of religion and, and the art of worship, the, the longing for forgiveness and reconciliation was about sacrifice. And Jesus was coming to be the sacrifice, but he's saying, I don't want sacrifice. There's a change. There's a shift. This is a new mentality for the church, but he says, I want mercy. You see, mercy expresses love to where sacrifice can often get wrapped into selfishness of me, myself, and I. And what do I have to give? 
What do I have to offer? What do I have to do? Because I got to make a sacrifice to go out of my way to help these people. I have to be inconvenienced to live out my faith to 100% of what Jesus wants me to do. And it becomes about, look at me, patting ourselves on the back. Because we make a sacrifice. We must understand the why, and the why should reflect the absolute love and heart of God. How do you define it in your own life? How do you live out these acts of mercy, these expressions of love and mercy? And how have you been challenged by the, woe is me, I've made so much sacrifice for the Lord this week? How does it play out in your life? So if we truly want to move beyond sacrifice to mercy, as Jesus calls us to do, we need to really learn how to see people. We need to learn how to have a compassionate heart. We need to know the practicality of meeting people's needs. Simply put, we must love people as God does. We need to develop wholehearted relationships with people. People with names, people with stories, joys and sorrows, prayer requests and praises, brokenness and fullness. Those that are complete, and those that are empty. Otherwise, I don't think we'll ever understand what Jesus meant by mercy and not sacrifice. Part of the problem is that mercy sounds too much like pity to us. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forbearance. Words that convey a certain condensation. Sension. Aren't I something helping out this person who's less fortunate than I am? Kind of this savior mentality. Jesus never responded to people with that attitude. Even though he, the sinless son of God, took the time to meet them deliberately right where they were at. Jesus placed himself in a position, as he did in Matthew's house, of reaching across the table, of treating each person with respect and with dignity. Those people that were tax collectors, sinners, the misfits, the marginalized, those that the Pharisees snubbed their noses at and said, why is your teacher dining with them? Jesus received them as equals, loved them, respected them, and gave them the dignity that they deserved. He lives out the desire for mercy and not that of sacrifice. Jesus longs for us to move beyond the idea of sacrifice, what we feel obligated to give up, to be perceived as religious. He wants us to get our hearts involved, tangled up with other people's lives, so the word sacrifice drops out of our vocabulary, so that we all know it as the passion to love others as he loves us. And may our theological understanding of faith be that only Jesus is the sacrifice, not our time, not our talent, and not our treasure. Jesus ate with Matthew and his friends because he wanted to. It was the most important thing to him at that moment in time.
He did it because he wanted to. He loved them. I envision the environment of the room as that filled with laughter, jokes, sharing stories of the day, and a lot of joy. A lot of joy that filled that room. And perhaps people that didn't experience joy very often. The fairies couldn't wrap their heads around that kind of socialization with a group of misfits. But Jesus didn't label people. He didn't slap a label over their heads and say, look, this is my project, this is who I'm working on, and, and these are those that get it, so um, look to their example. He said, these are all my people. I love each and every one of them dearly, and eventually he would go to the cross for each and every person's sin. So Jesus didn't label people. So he loved Nicodemus as genuinely as he loved Zacchaeus, and Mary of Bethany as he loved Mary Magdalene. He always looked beyond a person's history and towards their future. That future of reconciliation and forgiveness and truly discovering their why. Why they exist. Why God created them. Why God loved them. And ultimately, why Jesus would die for them. I'm asking God to move me towards that kind of love. I want to be as comfortable at the table with ex-cons and alcoholics, with addicts, as I am with many of you, church folk. I desire God to remove the Christian bubble that often exists around me and open my eyes to the hurting, lost, and broken world that surrounds me. I desire for my schedule and routine to be disrupted so that I am woken up to the task of loving people as Jesus desires and lived out as an example for all of us who believe. I long for it, I pray for it, and I now expect it. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, may we start with you. Perhaps this morning, perhaps right now, you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never taken the time to commit your life to Christ. Perhaps you've been sitting on the fence for a while or simply putting on the show of saying, yep, I'll go to church, I'll tick all the boxes, but my commitment, uh, pastor, I'm not quite there yet. Doing the right things, but lacking the true meaning and your why. Why are you living the way you are? Perhaps things have become a little blurry in your spiritual formation, this journey of life as a Christ follower. And you say, man, something's hijacked my joy of loving Jesus. And I need, to, I need to get back on track. And you just need to say, God, here I am. In all my brokenness, in all my mishaps, my mistakes, my faults and failures. God, I just want to deliberately get, get back to you. Get back to the root of why I go about every day, do the things that I'm doing, 
and recommit your life to Christ. Here's my encouragement for you today. There's no better time than now than to commit your life to Christ. Don't wait to clean up before you tell Jesus you need him. You know, a common theme, uh, I, I teach through Indiana Wesleyan, and our class last week was on the book of Job, and so many of my students wrote down what is so often said in the church of, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. I say, rubbish. So much comes our way that we cannot handle. That's why we have to rely on God to carry us through it. So don't wait to clean up your act. Don't wait to conquer the things that are beating you down before you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because he's right there to accept you when you're ready. There's no better time than right now. And be yourself, church. It is here when we be ourselves that we don't put on a show when we go to work, when we go to school, when we get around the family of straightening up and cleaning up and putting on the act or the show or whatever mask we're going to wear for the day. It's hard to hear the Lord's voice when you have to be so many different things to so many different people in so many different places. Be yourself. Because God wired you that way. He created you the way that you are because he loves you. He thinks you're incredible. He thinks you're amazing. Be yourself. And it's when you truly find yourself and you're saying, God, lead me every step of the way that you can tune in and you can hear that still small voice of knowing the why behind your existence. So what are you waiting for? If you desire to follow Jesus and you'd like to commit your life to him, a great place to start is by acknowledging that Jesus is truly who he said he is. He's the son of God that lived a perfect life and he died for the sins of the world. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and desire to experience the Lord's leading in your life as you discover your why day by day. Also, don't try to journey alone. If you make this commitment today, I would love to celebrate with you. Last week, we talked about a little bit of vision over 2020. I said, how amazing would it be that in our midst as the family of God, that over 2020, we'd see 50 people commit their lives to Christ. I'm praying for it daily, and I hope you join me in that. But I also pray that God mobilizes our hands, our feet, and our mouths to live that out with intentionality. We want to celebrate with you your commitment. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you so that you know you're not alone. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or stand in front of the church this morning or to raise your hand, but I would ask that you'd simply take your Connect card. Write down, I committed my life to Christ today. Put your name on it, your contact details if you would, so I can call you up this week and just pray with you and celebrate with you of what God is doing in your life. You can put that in the offering bag or you can put that in the white letter, letter box out by starting point. But it's a way that we can celebrate with you how God is moving in and through your life. And let me leave us with this today. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 reads, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And church, let us not take it for granted and let us be in awe of the Lord's mercy, grace, and love in our lives, but also through our lives to a hurting and broken world that needs the hope of Jesus to be set free from the bondage of sin to know what it's like to truly be forgiven and experience eternal life. The worship team is going to come. And they're going to lead us in a song. And in a quiet time and reflective time, an engaging prayer. That if there's something you would like to bring before the Lord, I invite you to come. Maybe you'd like to stand in the gap for someone that you know is dealing with a lot. There's, they have a full plate right now. It's weighing heavy on their shoulders. And you want to pray for them? I invite you to come. But if the Lord is stirring in your life right now and you just want to have a quiet moment with him, I encourage you, come. Will you stand and worship with us and listen to the Lord's voice? But know this, he loves you more than anything else in the world and he desires nothing more than to grow in the experience of the relationship that he has with you. He knows your name. He knows your story, and he loves you dearly. God bless.